Hello, and welcome to the IT Governance Podcast for Friday, the 16th of December, 2022. Later on, our CEO, Alan Calder, will explain the second stage of IT Governance's Cyber Defence In-Depth Framework, Protection. But first, here's the news. The Texan cloud computing provider, Rackspace, suffered a ransomware attack in early December, which has left many customers unable to access their email accounts nearly two weeks later. Rackspace's initial incident reports on the 2nd of December were understandably short on detail, merely acknowledging that there were connectivity issues affecting its exchange environments. However, on the 6th of December, the company confirmed that it had, in fact, suffered a ransomware attack. Rackspace's CEO, Amir Malatira, commented, Our information security team had strong incident response protocols and acted quickly to disconnect the network upon detection of the incident. We also engaged industry-leading global cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike to help investigate and remediate. Due to the swift action to disconnect our network, and because of the way that the hosted exchange email environment was designed and segmented, the incident was quickly contained and limited solely to the hosted exchange email environment. No other Rackspace products, platforms, solutions or businesses were affected or are experiencing downtime during this incident. The vast majority of our customers were not affected in any way by the incident and remain secure and fully operational. Details about the attack remain scant while Rackspace investigates, but as of the 14th of December, many customers are still unable to access their accounts and have switched to other email providers as a result. Rackspace itself is encouraging its customers to move to Microsoft 365. When it comes to cyber attacks, everyone is at risk. However, the way an organisation responds and recovers from an incident is critical. In the run-up to Christmas, and with so many customers reliant on its services, Rackspace faces an uphill battle to restore its reputation. At least two class-action lawsuits have now been filed against Rackspace for failing to safeguard its customers' information, and complaints about the outage fill social media. Moreover, Rackspace customers are now, inevitably, being targeted by phishing campaigns, claiming to offer support. Rackspace reminds its users to be vigilant. Citrix has released patches to address a zero-day vulnerability, a security flaw being actively exploited by criminals that affects customer-managed Citrix ADC, application delivery controller, and Citrix gateway appliances that are configured with an SAMLSP or IDP configuration. A blog post by Citrix's Chief Security and Trust Officer, Peter Lefkowitz, published to coincide with the updates, states that Citrix is aware of a small number of targeted attacks in the wild using this vulnerability, but that the update provides limited technical details to protect customers from exploits. Anyone using affected builds should immediately upgrade to the latest 12.1 release or move to the most recent version, 13.0-88.16 or a 13.1 build. Meanwhile, the US NSA, National Security Agency, has issued a cybersecurity advisory, warning that Chinese state-sponsored attackers from the APT5 group, also known as UNC2630 and Manganese, are actively exploiting the vulnerability and gaining illegitimate access to targeted organisations by bypassing normal authentication controls. APT5 has been active since at least 2007, focusing primarily on telecommunications and technology companies. The EU General Data Protection Regulation permits international transfers of EU residents' personal data under three circumstances. 
One, where the destination country has an adequacy decision, demonstrating it provides a suitable legal level of protection for EU residents' personal data. Two, through standard contractual clauses or binding corporate rules. Or three, if an approved certification mechanism is complied with. Until July 2020, transfers of EU residents' personal data to the US were governed by the EU-US Privacy Shield. However, this was ruled invalid by the ECJ, European Court of Justice, following legal action by the Austrian privacy campaigner Max Schrems and his organisation NOYB, or None of Your Business, who objected that the Privacy Shield didn't protect EU residents from US mass surveillance programmes. Since the Schrems 2 case, organisations have had to rely on standard contractual clauses or binding corporate rules, alongside supplementary technical measures to protect personal data, while talks about a replacement for the privacy shield continued. This March, however, the EU and US finally announced that they had reached an agreement in principle for a new mechanism to govern transatlantic data flows. In October, President Biden signed an executive order to implement the EU-US data privacy framework. Now, the European Commission has begun the process of adopting an adequacy decision in respect of the EU-US data privacy framework, confirming that the framework provides adequate safeguards to protect EU residents' personal data. US companies will be able to join the framework by committing to comply with a detailed set of privacy obligations, including the requirement to delete personal data when it is no longer necessary for the purpose for which it was collected, and to ensure continuity of protection when personal data is shared with third parties. Unsurprisingly, Max Schrems remained sceptical, commenting, We will analyse the draft decision in detail over the next few days. As the draft decision is based on the known executive order, I can't see how this would survive a challenge before the Court of Justice. It seems that the European Commission just issues similar decisions over and over again in a flagrant breach of our fundamental rights. That was the news. Now, we know that only a defence-in-depth approach to cybersecurity provides the layered defences you need to ensure your organisation can withstand a cyber attack. If one of those defensive layers is breached, the others can help contain the damage and ensure you can return to business as usual as quickly as possible. The second layer of a cyber defence in-depth strategy deals with protecting your organisation from cyber attacks. IT Governance's CEO, Alan Calder, provides more details. The first line of defence, which you may recall, is a combination of continual vulnerability scanning to make sure that known vulnerabilities in your internet-facing assets have been identified and patched. It's phishing training uh, for staff, making sure that they're going to identify uh, social engineering type attacks and protect against that. That's going to get breached. Sooner or later, it's going to get breached. So you need a second line of defense that enables you to deal with it. You need the right technical um, administrative controls. You're going to need a third line of defense. So the second line is about protecting assets. The third and fourth and fifth lines, which we'll look at in later webinars, are about an increasingly mature and increasingly resilient line of defense. But today is about the second layer, protection. What happens when that first outward bound detect an attack uh, um, set of defenses is breached? They get through it. How do you make sure that you're protecting your core assets? Uh, you've got to put in place a second layer of defense that's going to be more robust, that will ensure you've got appropriately trained staff that will manage cybersecurity defenses and uh, breaches. So, um, what are those? Employers are crucial line of defense, ensuring they know their security responsibilities, including in terms of incident response is essential. That's the first element um, in level two. The second is penetration testing, making sure that 
vulnerabilities that could be exploited are not there. So it's not just about there's a known vulnerability, it's about um, uh, is there a possibility for a cross-site scripting attack on a website, for instance. And then basic certification schemes that can protect your organization from some of the most common cyber threats and dem demonstrate to clients uh, and stakeholders that you have at least a basic or a foundational commitment to cyber security. So those are the three elements of your second level of defense. Uh, and uh, hey, why do you need them? Because starting with staff, staff don't always do what they should do. It might be because they don't know. Um, it might be because they are uh, they like to find their own solutions to problems. It might be because they just don't listen. But technical solutions mostly are reactive. So a technical solution that's going to respond to a, um, a phishing attack uh, is really only going to be effective at that uh, if the phishing attack occurs. It's going to try and deal with the consequences. But it won't identify an entirety of phishing type emails. You're not going to find them uh, by doing anything other than stopping every single email coming into the organization. So phishing emails are going to get through. They're going to reach people. People are going to click on links. You need to have uh, some method, not only of teaching them what the most common phishing emails look like, but you need to uh, teach them to be more aware of cybersecurity genuinely. You need to have people across the organization who have at least foundational knowledge around cybersecurity. But it's not enough just simply to uh, train staff. You need to make sure that uh, they are going to be able to respond. So you should ally, <clears throat> you should ally all of your training with some testing. So if you roll out a phishing staff awareness training program, very good thing to do, you should test it. You should uh, engage an organization uh, like us to run a simulation of a phishing attack, which would deploy uh, phishing emails into uh, the organization, which would uh, uh, encourage people to click on them, but all of the clicks would be captured in a safe environment. And over a period of time, the combination of repeating training, updating training with uh, quarterly updates, perhaps to recognize changes in the phishing environment, combined with ongoing anti-phishing simulation uh, can give you a noticeable measurable decline in that vulnerability. So staff awareness training as part of a broader um, uh, staff training program, identifying what your crown jewels are, what sense of sensitive information you've got that's likely to be um, uh, accessed by cyber criminals or by people internally that shouldn't. Um, think about how those critical information is going to be used across the organization. Take account of each of those, make a note of the knowledge and skills that are required to stay secure. Of course, you should be doing that anyway, identifying where information is held as part of your Article 30 compliance for GDPR, but you need to know what your critical information is before you can protect it, and then you need to work out uh, how you're going to protect it. What competences do you need in your staff? And so what you teach your staff and how those lessons are delivered will depend on what they need to know. You need to uh, look at not what skill, not only what skills they need, but how you're going to deploy them. Is it going to be through an e-learning staff awareness program? Is it going to be an instructor-led classroom course delivered perhaps online or in a physical classroom? Is it going to be a self-paced distance learning type of course? Or is it going to be an in-house training course where you have a number of people uh, trained on a specific subject? You need to think about how you're going to train the staff sets. What do they need to learn? How are you going to deliver it? And then it's about measuring uh, effectiveness. Informal tests or interviews 
uh, is certainly one way of doing that, but, um, but mostly, particularly with professional courses, uh, you would typically want to end with a formal exam and some form of accredited certification. And the expectation would be that staff attending those training courses would come away with a certification, which of course, not only tells you they've paid attention in the past, but is a good part of their own uh, career development and measuring their own career development. At your second layer of defense, there are three critical uh, uh, forms of training you need for certainly your technology uh, security team uh, for uh, uh, frontline managers. That's the Cybersecurity Foundation course. Um, it's a one-day training course that looks at all of the key elements of running a secure uh, organization. The GDPR Foundation course does the same. It looks at all of the key elements of GDPR compliance. And Cyber Incident Response, again, a one-day course looks at how you should structure an incident response process. An incident response is the key recognition that you're going to have a breach. What you want people to do is when they do something they shouldn't, click on a link that they shouldn't, download some malware they shouldn't, you, don't, you, you want them to own up fast. You don't want them to hide it and hope it goes away because every minute is critical. If you download a phishing, if you click on a phishing email link, download malware, every minute it's got to propagate is taking you closer to a disaster. So you want people trained to go, ah, shouldn't have done that. How do I respond? I know how to respond. I know how to contact uh, help desk, whoever it is that deals with it. Uh, you have a couple of pre-tested, you've worked out and you pre-test and you make sure that your responses really work. And cyber incident response training course takes you in a, in a very instructive day through how to deal with putting in place a cyber incident response framework. So three key elements of training. These are training courses which are ideal for very small organizations as well as for, for large organizations. Often a small organization will get the key knowledge that they need for uh, uh, frontline staff from a combination of these three training courses. Uh, in a larger organization, these three courses would be the foundation of uh, what you build into uh, your third and fourth layers of uh, cyber defense in depth. So that's the first, staff training, making sure that you go beyond just simple phishing awareness into actual competence around cybersecurity, uh, data protection, and incident response. The second component of that second uh, level of defense is penetration testing. So continual vulnerability scanning is simply uh, running scans on a regular, maybe daily basis across your internet-facing uh, infrastructure. It'll identify known vulnerabilities and flag them for you to deal with them. Penetration testing goes significantly further than that. Penetration testing will aim to um, identify flaws that could be exploited potentially at a later date. So it'll certainly identify items picked up by a vulnerability scan, but penetration testing should go further than that. Um, it'll identify security flaws. It will identify uh, that you've got hardware that hasn't been updated, for instance. It will make sure your existing security controls are infect on effective could test new software and systems for bugs, could find new bugs in existing software, will certainly support compliance with GDPR and other uh, regulatory compliance. It'll help conformance to standards like PCI, and running penetration tests will uh, give your customers and other stakeholders a sense of a robust approach to uh, cybersecurity management. There are a number of types of penetration testing, you know, whereas vulnerability scanning is simply a continual process aimed at a number of IP addresses. 
penetration testing breaks down into um, half a dozen different types of testing. So web application penetration test is looking at essentially your website, but any applications which are hosted in the cloud providing services to customers, making sure that the uh, web browser is securely configured, uh, making sure any identity vulnerabilities that could be exploited are uh, closed down, looking at web server and database server security, assessing web applications for vulnerability to attacks, including the OWASP top 10 vulnerabilities. Massive migration to the cloud, particularly through uh, the um, pandemic years, meant that many organizations with inadequate knowledge of how to configure uh, cloud environments securely are now in the cloud. Wonderful bonanza for cyber criminals. Cloud configuration is not as simple as it's all in the cloud, I'm safe. You need to configure it securely. Uh, you might uh, have a penetration test at a more mature level. Uh, you might be training your own technology team on how to, on how to deploy um, uh, uh, cloud configuration uh, uh, skills. You could test the uh, network itself. So external and internal penetration tests are designed to find uh, gaps in uh, the network, gaps that could be exploited by an insider as well as gaps that could be exploited by an outsider, looking at firewalls, at wireless access points, looking for the particular vulnerabilities that uh, can occur in those environments and giving you hosts and giving you reports that enable you to close those down. For PCI, Environment, if you're processing payment cards, you're supposed to be complying with uh, the PCI standard. Um, penetration testing, very specific set of requirements uh, around making sure that your cardholder data is appropriately segmented. You've got the right authentication uh, services that known vulnerabilities in particular configurations are dealt with. So it's part of demonstrating your uh, PCI compliance. And it can go on. So. Um, you can have penetration tests done which are specifically designed to evaluate how susceptible your employees are to social engineering attacks, which could be carried out by a combination of email and telephone call, uh, could be uh, somebody physically uh, uh, breaking into the environment, or some combination of those designed to make sure that the uh, in your, your cybersecurity environment is robust and able to deal with combination attacks. Um, phishing penetration tests, as I said, simulating phishing attacks, preferably carried out on multiple occasions so you can measure improvement from one test to the next. Testing your cloud configuration, uh, given what I was saying earlier on about organizations that have migrated to cloud having significant vulnerabilities, cloud configuration penetration tests will look specifically at those. Um, we'll look at vulnerabilities and weaknesses in those environments and tell you how you can go about uh, testing them. And of course, finally, remote access, particularly if you have lots of people working from home, uh, you might look at testing those uh, environments specifically. You're looking for uh, inadequate authentication, weak configurations. Um, uh, uh, um, you're looking for routers which are still using default settings, outdated software in uh, local environments. All of those things you should be specifically looking for because if an attacker can get into your network uh, via a remote worker, um, it's just as bad as if they get in via your own network. So a range of possible penetration tests which uh, you can, talking to an experienced organization, determine what's appropriate for your organization, schedule it in a way that enables uh, it to be carried out and deliver a report which identifies what the vulnerabilities are and gives you key guidance on how to address them and make sure they go away. 
As I said, penetration testing isn't just a good thing to do. It's also part of a number of compliance requirements. So um, it's required by the PCI data security standard. Um, it's an organizational requirement under GDPR. So organizations have to have under Article 32, a process for regularly testing, assessing, and evaluating the effectiveness of technical and organizational measures for ensuring the safety and the security of processing. And the only way to test and assess the effectiveness of technical measures is by penetration testing and to find out whether somebody, an, an, an experienced attacker, can breach them. ISO 27001, increasingly the key cybersecurity management standard uh, in control objective A12.6 says that information and technical vulnerabilities or technical vulnerabilities of information systems should be tested on a regular basis. Um, and um, that's a very straightforward thing to do. Uh, the payment services directive requires payment institutions to have a security policy document, including a detailed risk assessment. Uh, New York Department of Financial Services is the final example to demonstrate this is not just in the UK or the EU that you have these requirements, but it's global. Um, the requirements to test internet-facing uh, devices and systems to make sure that uh, they are genuinely secure is a key expectation now of regulators as well as of customers and of stakeholders. And then the third element of, a, of an effective defense in depth uh, framework is to look at uh, certification schemes. And we'll talk about more complex certification schemes at later points, but from a second layer of defense perspective, it's uh, cyber essential certification. It's a standard which has been developed by the UK government. You can apply for it from outside the UK. It's not a, there isn't a barrier, but it's a UK government um, certification. Uh, certification bodies are accredited by um, a, an organization called IASME. We're a certification body, IT government certification body. And what Cyber Essentials does, it's got um, two different levels. The first is a basic self-assessment questionnaire. And the second is a more advanced uh, questionnaire, which includes a set of external security tests. It's a good foundation for basic cyber hygiene. Uh, it can be applied to organizations of all sizes. Uh, admittedly, it tends to be small organizations that deal with uh, cyber essentials only and slightly larger organizations, which will make a point of moving on from cyber essentials to cyber essentials. Uh, plus, we would say all organizations should do cyber essentials plus. Um, and the five areas of technical, and that these are primarily technical controls that organizations should be uh, dealing with. Um, you should be dealing with these anyway. They will deal with, they will help protect you against something in the order of 80% or so of internet-borne attacks. Um, the first is protecting against vulnerabilities by keeping all devices and applications up to date. So that's downloading software updates as they become available making sure not only that you patch software, but that you update uh, software as it moves um, out of support. Some of the major cyber attacks over the last few years have taken advantage of organizations running software, which is no longer being patched, no longer in support. Very easy for an attacker to take advantage of. So that's the first uh, key control for cyber essentials. The second is around firewalls and routers making sure that there is a genuine buffer zone between your IT network and other external networks that enables incoming traffic to be analyzed to make sure whether it should be allowed into the network. And mostly this is done automatically. 
Um, you don't need somebody manually reviewing it. You've got too much data coming in and out to do that. But properly configured firewalls and routers will reduce very substantially the volume of illegitimate, illegal, uh, and frankly dangerous traffic which is trying to come into your network. But traffic's going to come into your network, and so the next thing you uh, need to be doing is uh, looking at access control. Determine uh, what access administrative accounts have um, uh, to data and services. Uh, make sure that uh, not only do you have very specific uh, roles identified uh, that can have access to specific assets, but that you train those people appropriately so they know how to protect their passwords. Uh, people don't use administrator and local administrator accounts, for instance, as part of their day-to-day activity because they will be taken advantage of. Um, so access control is the third uh, key cyber centralist control. The fourth is secure configuration, making sure that devices and software are correctly and securely configured. And configuration is about making sure that you've got the right password practices, that you remove any um, optional uh, elements in the software that you don't need, but which, um, if they're unused, uh, and they still have their default settings would enable an attacker to take advantage of them. Remember, attackers are smart. They know what the default settings are in uh, software as in hardware. Uh, they know what the default password for a router is, for instance, when it's shipped out to um, hundreds of thousands or millions of people around the world. So it's very easy if they want to log on to a router to start off by using the known default password. Easy to make sure that um, the way you configure software is to preclude the use of well-known passwords like oh, 123456 or uh, QWERTY, any one of those um, half a dozen passwords which every hacker knows and runs as the first half dozen in their automated brute force attack. So secure configuration is the fourth of the controls. And the fifth is malware protection, making sure that you've got uh, anti-malware or anti-virus uh, software deployed that's properly configured uh, that only allows trusted applications to reach into the network. And you want anti-malware software that is updated probably once a day, maybe two or three times a day, because remember, uh, new malware, new viruses are being identified all the time. Uh, and what you want to be doing is protecting your network against the recently identified stuff that hackers and attackers are rolling up. As I said, while you've got zero days, you've got uh, attackers using newly discovered uh, malware, newly discovered vulnerabilities. You've also got attackers who recognize that lots of organizations haven't yet been bothered to install the old patches, haven't yet upgraded their software. So across the entire spectrum, you have attacks going on. And we often see clients being attacked two or three times in the same five or 10 minutes by uh, two or three different attackers, um, because that happens to be the attack uh, of the day. Um, and uh, uh, most attackers are operating these days here as organized crime with affiliates, and you'll often get affiliates um, who are using the same software and they'll go looking for the same vulnerabilities and attacking. So uh, you need to be thinking about how you can deal with those. And Cyber Essentials, uh, which as I said, will force you to uh, look at improving your uh, controls is a really good way to do that. And uh, But the reality is your second line of defense is critical. Your first line of defense has to be there, but it's going to be breached. Your second line of defense gives you a reasonable prospect of surviving. Most breaches take uh, 
something like six months before they're discovered. Uh, they take six months or more to deal with once they are discovered. Many organizations never fully recover. And just give you a kind of macro uh, picture of uh, what it can look like if you fail to defend properly. The Irish Health Service uh, suffered a cyber attack. They're now pushing 50 million euros to repair and recover the, from the ransomware attack. They decided not to pay the ransom. 50 million euros so far on recovery. Um, on top of that, they've had to spend now approaching 9 million euros to build the defenses, which if they'd had them in place in the first instance, might have helped them avoid spending 50 million euros to recover. So the message is, if you have a breach, you're going to have to spend money on recovering from the breach, and you're still going to have to spend money on making sure it doesn't happen again. So the sensible thing for organizations to do is spend the money now. You can think of it as a uh, down payment on a future that doesn't involve spending very large amounts of cash suddenly at short notice to recover from a major attack, which also has a big impact on your reputation and on your customers and on your long-term future. Thank you, Alan. That's it for this time and for this year. As ever, you can get in touch with us either by leaving a comment on the blog or via Twitter at ITGovPod or ITGovernance. We'll return in the new year, but until then, our archive is on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can find everything you need to implement and maintain a cybersecure, defence-in-depth approach on our website, itgovernance.co.uk. Merry Christmas, one and all. And from IT Governance, a happy new year. Thank you.